0: Everybody and welcome to a very special edition of Talk and Golf Live special because it is also doubling up as episode 8 of State of the Game. I'm Rod Mori and this really is an event today. Not only is it Talk Golf and State of the Game together, it's also State of the Game's first ever live episodes and like one of those late night TV ads, that's not all because it's also what I'm calling our Blues Brothers episode just like Jake and Elwood, we're putting the band back together. Yesterday's guest list is like Golfing Royalty with Jeff Shackleford, John Huggan and Mike Clayton, all on the same episode for the very first time since episode one of the show, way back in February. I'm not going to do it individually. Gentlemen, a communal welcome. Hello, Rod. Good evening. Good morning, Rod. That's exactly the response I was looking for. Yes, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, and I think we've got it pretty much covered from all points of the, <laughs> of the, of the, uh, of the globe. Look, a little bit later, we're going to chat about Mike Clayton's adventures in the US. Clayton, you went off to the US Masters and... Managed to squeeze in just a little bit of golf while you were over there and saw some pretty interesting stuff. So we want to have a chat about all of that uh, a little bit later. But before we get to that, I want to rewind just a couple of weeks. It's hard to believe it's only two weeks. It seems so distant in the rearview mirror already. The US Masters, all three of you were there. And all three of you, I'm sure, will have a different take on what happened. Shaq, I wanted to come to you first. It was your first time back at Augusta National since 2003. What's changed for the better and what's changed for the worse?
1: well for the the worse uh obviously the, uh, the the grass the fairway grass which I wrote about for golf world i uh, yeah I remember the first time walking on that property and and the entire property felt like one large putting green and so to walk out there now and see this this grain they've created uh, in the fairways mowed towards the tees, the slowdown drives uh it's 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 sad i i don't I don't um, I don't want to criticize them, because I understand what they're trying to do, um, but it's it's not as refined and and elegant and, and uh, uh, as stunning as it used to be, and so it does work, it slows down the drives, but of course it creates this mud ball problem if there's any wetness, which we saw all the way through Sunday, even though the weekend it, it dried out, and there were, there were nice little breezes at night, and it was drier air, it still just stayed muddy, and, and so that was very disappointing um but uh as for the uh the best i I would just say uh you know seeing some of those green complexes again they're just so amazing uh they got a little quick on sunday they were they were borderline a few times on a few holes i thought they were really pushing it and uh, a couple of the caddies said they thought they picked up about a foot of speed uh between saturday and sunday which sounds like a lot to me but it's still it was noticeable um so Anyhow, the uh, uh, the place looks great in a lot of senses, uh, but there are still problems uh, that would that would make Bobby Jones uh, and Alistair McKenzie uh, want to scream. Yes, no, uh, no doubt about that. That
0: there's so much to like and not to like about Augusta National, isn't there, Shaq? There's some things about the place that make you shake your head, but boy, I spoke to you during the week. That week, just briefly, they put on
1: an event, don't they? Nobody runs a better sporting event, I don't think. I mean, I, I, I've been to—I haven't been to a few sporting events, but in terms of just the fan experience and the, the attention to detail, uh, they're just uh, in another league. And so that's why, yeah, it's it's difficult to uh, to criticize. And and also when you see the way the guys play the course now, you understand why they do the things they do. I don't—I wouldn't have done them the way they did some of those things, and neither would probably Clates, but. Um, uh, you at least it's at the point now where it's you almost sympathize and uh, with their plight of trying to keep this this amazing place relevant and, and, and this amazing golf tournament uh, played somewhat similar to the way it's been played in the past.
0: Yeah, well, we've got some interesting stuff from uh, Gary Player. I'll play some clips a little bit later. He talked about a couple of those things. Huggy, of course, you go to Augusta National every year. Do you notice the changes, or is it like when your wife's losing weight? When you see it every day, you don't notice, and that gets you into all sorts of trouble.
2: I'm not going to touch that one.
0: <laughs> Augusta yeah, Nationals I mean, a, a far less fearsome foe than the wife, I can assure you.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, you're absolutely right there. But the, what what always gets me is that the Augusta, I mean, everything Jeff said there two minutes ago is absolutely spot on. And at Augusta, every year we have this gathering of, you know, the great and the good of the game. There's all kinds of blazers hanging around underneath the tree. I want to know what Mike Davis and Peter Dawson, if we could strap them to a truth machine what are they actually thinking when they see things like Jeff just described at Augusta National two weeks ago I mean they must be hanging their heads in shame at what they've allowed to be done or has to be done to combat this nonsense that is the ball that goes forever when Bubba Watson hits it and all the rest of them I mean, I think it's just—it's an absolute disgrace, and I, and I get angry when I think about it. And I, so I try not to think about it. But I, as I say, I want—I want these guys held accountable. And you know, some one of the, one day they're going to have to pay for all this. History is not going to be kind to these people. I don't think.
0: No, you—you're mm. quite, quite possibly right there, Clates. Uh, I'm assuming you'd been to Augusta before. Was this your first trip, or have you been there before?
3: No,
0: I was there in the Chip Beckier. Oh, okay. Mm. (laughs) The Chip Beckier, as it's become (laughs) known. Uh, Claude, firstly, did you get patted down for a chainsaw before they let you on the property? And then I'll get get some of your thoughts about the course and how it might have changed since you were last there.
3: Um, No, well, the trees are, you know, apart from a few odd places, the trees are fine there. I mean, there are far fewer trees to cut down at Augusta than there are at most courses in
0: Australia. That 18th tee shot looks horrendously narrow on TV.
3: It looks worse on TV, but it is really narrow, yeah. I mean, there's a, there was a picture in – I just read um, – which book did I read? I think it was James Dodds' new book on – no, it wasn't. It was Tony Lima's book. I found a copy of Tony Lima's book. There was a picture of him hitting off the 18th of Augusta when it was a paddock out there, no fairway bunkers on the left, and, you know, it was just amazingly wide. But, you know, of course you agree with everything the others two have said. Unfortunately, while well, 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 I think we, you know, we're all in furious agreement with – you know, the ball and what it's done to the game and how it's distorted the courses. We played at the PGA Centenary Day at Royal Melbourne yesterday. I played with Brad Hughes, who slits the ball pretty well. It's a pitch and putt course. I mean, you know, as great as it is, it's a pitch and putt course compared with those big, long courses in America. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I spoke to John Hopkins, who's the chairman of Golf Australia, and he's always banging Mike Davis over the head with the ball and what are you going to do about it? And um. You know, we in Australia have no defence for our courses. There's no room to put most of the tees back. They're all in suburban bits of land. We don't have the luxury of Augusta being able to just, you know, w- with the unlimited budget and the unlimited space to recreate the first tee shot by m- and move the tee back 60 yards. Mm. So, so, you know, so, so, you know, one thing that came to me out of that my trip to America was our courses are, you know, they're, they're pitch and puck courses compared with the big championship courses in America. Which has long been Peter Thompson's view. That was why he built Moon links so, You know, Peter, you know, long ago argued that, you know, the very same thing, and I thought he was wrong. But once again, he's proved to be right, which is normal. <laughs>
0: How did you describe him to me once, Clates? He's a bit like the French. Some people think he's arrogant, but when you've got the best food, the best language and the best wine, why wouldn't you be arrogant? <laughs> Tom, a bit the same, I think you said it to that's me. Yeah, that's Yeah, ex- that's exactly right. Look, you've all touched on something, well, you've all touched on things that we've discussed before and we'll continue to discuss and lots of discussion about. It. but Jack Nicholas, Gary Player, Arnold Palmer didn't just hit the ceremonial first tee shot this year, which was quite, uh, quite wonderful <laughs> to see. They had a press conference afterward with the three of them. I pulled a couple of snippets... From that here's Gary Player talking about the golf ball.
4: Personally, uh, I think what has put the game of golf into a lot of trouble is that the golf ball is going so far, and you're finding golf pros going to play at different golf clubs, and they're hitting a drive and a six iron to a par five. Whereas Jack, I know at Sun City in South Africa, you hit a one iron, and it was we were in awe. Now they hit a six iron, so all the clubs are thinking, "Wow, our courses are obsolete." and so they lengthening their golf courses unnecessary, all you had to do was let the technology go with the average golfer, that's fantastic but with professional golfers, we haven't seen big men come into this game yet we're going to see the Michael Jordans and the likes come into golf and they're already hitting drives 400 yards, they're going to be hitting it so far it's frightening, what's going to happen to the golf course, are they going to make them longer? we can't go back in the streets anymore here so they're going to have to slow the ball down for professional golf sometime or other in the future, otherwise I don't know what's going to happen to all these golf courses. Are we going to spend more money on it?
0: And I think he's uh, pretty much encapsulated everything that you three just talked about, Shaq. But it's interesting to me, and you and I have discussed this before, it's the professional golf effect on the rest of the game, isn't it? And one thing that Gary Player said in there is the thing that seems to be gaining more momentum, this notion that it's time to split the rules. The professionals need to be brought back in. At one point in that press conference, Jack Nicklaus said there was a time when they'd go and play in a pro-am. They'd tee off from 20 yards behind the amateurs, and they'd all end up in around about the same spot. He said the difference now is about 100 yards. So apart from anything else, from a pro am experience, by the time the pro gets down to the amateur tee, <laughs> they've all already hit, and it's a it's a whole different vibe. What's your sort of take on that? Are, are you a supporter of the uh, of the splitting the rules idea? Have we really come to that?
1: I am. I think it's the easiest compromise. Um, I mean, I've given this a lot of thought. I wrote a book. It's been—I couldn't believe it. I thought about this the other day. It's been nine years, um, and 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 these people haven't done a, a, a bloody thing, um, which is pretty amazing. Obviously, they they weren't moved by the book, but um, it, it's the easiest solution uh, because it allows uh, the manufacturers to. Uh, sell two different kinds of things, uh, which you would think they would like to sell something. Uh, have another product that people would buy, and people would definitely buy these balls. Uh, good players would definitely use them, uh, and you'd see it in competition. I mean, you could just go down a long list of of reasons why um, it's it's the it's the easiest compromise. It may not be the most perfect solution. There's certainly going to be a, a an enforcement issue with such a thing. Um, uh, and and people uh, raising accusations of somebody using the hot ball versus the, the the not hot ball and all that, but I I think there's just uh, a consensus building that that is the easiest way to uh, keep the manufacturers happy, allow them to make uh, all the clubs and bells and whistles and things they want to put on them, uh, and then also to you know protect these old golf courses to stop this kind of endless chase. Um, I will say, and I'm sure somebody who's listening to this probably thinks that uh, we're, we're just we're, we are a broken record. I, I do want it to be <laughs> noted for the record that it was really awesome to see Bubba Watson win doing uh, mm. two things: one, uh, hitting it long, uh, and, and but but controlled under pressure, and getting a reward for his his distance, which is one of the things I've always hated in all this: is that guys who hit it a long way don't get the benefits they should get for hitting it a long way. Um, and then the other thing was that he moves the ball, and I mean people there 's this this viral uh aerial photograph uh, mm-hmm. uh on the internet uh, that's it 's not very accurate but it's it 's still kind of fun to show how he shaped the shot and he moves the ball and it was an exciting thing and it 's amazing how many people are moved by that, which only validates what we 've been trying to say the three of us and for a long time, which is that uh <coughs> people do want to see the ball spin they want to see it curve uh they miss that and and, I mean, I talked to a young man uh, on Friday night, at, at the, at the, and John was sitting across the table, actually, and one of the, re- the, the number one reason he loved Bubba Watson was because of the way he moves the ball. He loves seeing that ball do weird things in the air, and, and a lot of us used to know that game. And so, so that was a, a huge positive from last week, and so I just wanted to make sure we didn't. We didn't uh, scare off too many people, <laughs> not bit, acknowledging that.
0: a bit too much sky-falling in stuff from us sometimes, isn't there, Shaq? So yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you, uh, that you put a bit of a happy spin on it. Huggy, you wrote a piece about exactly that, wasn't it? You were pleased to see Bubba Watson win, simply for the reason that he actually has some imagination, plays some different and unusual shots. Was, uh, nobody's going to compare him to Sevy, but that was the great appeal of Sevy, wasn't it? That he would do amazing things with the golf ball that you just don't see anymore.
2: Well, it, it just comes down to one word. I mean, it's fun. Mm. He, he's fun to watch. He looks like he's having fun doing it, and he's and he's enormous fun to watch. I mean, he hits as Jeff just pointed out. He hits it. You never quite know what's going to happen next, and that was part of the joy of Seve as well. Is that you know the, there was some real rubbish thrown in the midst of all the the genius. And uh, I'm not saying that Bubba's on the same level as Seve, because I'm not sure that anyone ever will be, but. Uh, He's, Bubba. Bubba's the man. I mean, I, I want to go out and he, he would make me spend money to go and watch golf, which, as spoiled as I am, doing what I do for a living, that, that says <laughs> a lot. But, uh, <clears throat> I would definitely pay money to watch Bubba.
0: Yeah. Clyde's from a professional point of view, you, you're the only professional golfer amongst us. Um, can you sort of see this appeal that Bubba has particularly to the fans. I imagine amongst his, his brethren he's, he's considered as a bit of a one-off and plays a game that none of them would like to even try to play, uh, moving the ball around like that. But what, what's the pros' take on Bubba Watson? Would it be good for the game if we had more people doing what he does?
3: Well, I always thought he was fun to watch. He played at Huntingdale in the Australian Masters a, quite a long time ago, maybe five years ago, and he was fun to watch there before anyone really knew who he was. In fact, I think he lost the playoff there. He did. But he then he played with I watched him play with Jeff Ogilvy the first two rounds at the Lakes last year where he hit a driver seven on at the 11th hole. I mean, that was unimaginably... I mean, it was amazing when... Now, as Gary Player said, when you know that they saw Nicholas hitting one eye to those holes at Sun City. I mean, when Norman and Elkington first hit it on that green in nineteen in the nineteen ninety two Open, no one could believe it. Here's mm-hmm. this guy twenty years later hitting a seven iron on the green. But you know, he's great fun to watch. He, he's really fun to watch. I think everyone enjoys him. And the good thing is, you know, I, I suspect Tiger wants more than two and a half million dollars to play the Australian Open this year. You know, here's a guy who's almost as fun to watch who's much cheaper than that. So that might be a good thing for the Australian Open if you know, from a purely selfish point of view, that hopefully Tiger prices himself out. But, you know, there are other guys who, who are as fun to watch who can replace him. Important. So that's, that's that's why he's important, for, you know, from a worldwide point of view. You know, if he wants to come and travel, he's one of the few players that are great fun to watch. And he proved that last year at the Lakes. He was tremendous to watch there. Yeah, if,
0: if, if he had the putter going in any way, shape or form, Clates, he would have won that tournament by 35 shots, I reckon. He must have missed at least 30 putts of five or six feet or less. right. Uh, Good.
3: It was good that he got on some real greens at Augusta then. <laughs> yes, indeed. Ah, the real greens, yes. The real greens.
0: <laughs> yeah, I would have thought they would have been the undoing of him, to be honest with you, but uh, that definitely proved not to be the case. This professional sort of flow down to the rest of the game, lots and lots of people, Shaq, will say when you bang on about the ball and it goes too far as, you know, yeah, What well, do you want us to go back to hickory shafts and, and you know, goose feather balls and, oh, yeah. and that sort of thing. Give me the counter to that argument because there's a very real impact, isn't there? When, when Augusta stretches itself to these sorts of lengths, Clayt supplied us with some photos this morning from his trip, which we'll get to shortly from Marion, which is now just a couple of grass footpaths running between bushland by the look of it almost. Um, what's the, the flow-on effect that? It's very real, isn't it for everybody who plays the game?
1: Well, two things. One, uh, most average golfers who would play a, a ball that's let's say rolled back uh, uh, you know 10, 15, 20 percent somewhere in there, uh, they're not going to notice a difference. Uh, they really; these the equipment is is geared towards certain clubhead speeds, and it's not going to impact the everyday golfer. So that's the first thing. The second thing, uh, you know, we have tee it forward this initiative uh, that the PGA is pushing, and people are loving it. They're they're going forward, and and the answer is well, all of a sudden golf is a lot more attractive when it's it's a little more condensed, it's a little shorter uh it's it's um uh, faster it's all the things that we're we've been talking about so we'd end this this ridiculous stretching of courses the narrowing all the little games that are that are played and actually go back to uh at least where we were maybe 10 15 years ago which was a lot better than what we have now so um you know that there's always going to be the 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 chase for distance that's always going to be in the game Um, but if you can control it a little bit better it it just makes uh, such a difference on so many uh, uh, fronts especially architectural and course setup wise Uh,
0: yes sorry just had a quick technical issue there Clates, is it uh, the ball's obviously the cheapest fix? And Jack Nicholas, I won't play the clip, but I had a clip from him saying exactly that. He talked about how the courses are stretched and what that costs, et cetera, to host a tournament. That it's very cheap to fix the golf ball, it's very expensive to keep stretching, stretching golf courses. Would you look, if you were to, to be in charge for a day, would it be just the ball that you would look at, or is there maybe another way to go about it? The problem that the, the administrative authorities have is this fear of litigation. If they say to the manufacturers, you can no longer make a ball that goes that far, that they'll end up in court and that they'll lose the case. Is there other stuff that could be done? Can we maybe... Would it help if the pros are only allowed to use drivers with a a 350cc head, for example, something like that?
3: Well, 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 I I think it's a combination of the club and the ball that's made it go so far. You know, the head's so big they can just... You know, they can take a massive whale at it and it goes forever and it goes straight. So the the ball's obviously thing to fix because there are problems with taking drivers out of people's hands. But... um, you know, it's...
0: Are you a two-sets-of-rules man or a one?
3: Uh, of course, of course. Uh, uh, and we played two-sets. Um, what the Americans don't understand and don't uh, have never thought about is we play two-sets-of-rules forever with the big ball and the small ball. So, you know, from a personal point of view, I, I won the Australian Amateur in 1978. I was the only guy in on the field using a big ball. And everyone said, you're completely mad. You're giving up 25 yards. Why are you doing that for? I said, well, you know, if I want to be a pro, then I'm going to have to learn to play with this golf ball. So I just... I vowed never to use a small ball again and went and played with the big ball. And, you know, within five years, the big ball was compulsory in amateur golf and, and and within six or seven, the small ball was outlawed. So the game's been through the same thing before. And it just wasn't that difficult. You know, people say, well, if you have a ball for the pros, what happens to To the elite amateurs, well, they'll just do the same thing the pros did. That's what happened with the small ball. The the elite amateurs just did what the pros did because they all want to be pros, so they're going to have to learn to play with the pro ball. So they abandon the amateur ball and play with the pro ball, Uh, and and it gets sorted in two years, as it was sorted in two or three years with the small and big ball.
0: Which (coughs) should appeal to the Americans, shouldn't it, because that's the market correcting itself, isn't it? The market then dictates who uses what. People choose themselves, and the problem gets sorted out pretty quickly, as you just just pointed out. Yeah, of course yeah, yeah indeed
3: so yeah you know, I mean there are all those other things of you know the 64 degree sandwiches well that's ridiculous there's you know long putters should be banned you know hybrids have taken the skill out of hitting long irons but the ball won't spin so you can't get a long iron in there anyway you know so we've essentially eliminated the 1, 2 and 3 iron from the game so you know you can try and redress all that but in the end the ball's the simplest thing to fix and uh, you know the the the, the manufacturers aren't going to sell one less golf ball because there are two golf balls out there.
0: It would be extraordinary to think anybody would give up the game because the ball didn't go as far as it used to, would it? I can't see that. I've always wondered how that argument is supposed to work. But, uh,
3: I, I. mean, we had a discussion last night with some friends about you know the game and you know the game is more fun. Well, well the games. No less, no more fun than it was 80 years ago or 40 years ago. People still had great fun playing golf in 1920 and 1960 and 1980. It was still great fun. I mean, people still love to play golf. It's no more fun now than it ever was. In fact, you know, you know, in many ways, it's less fun.
0: Because of the nature of the courses that we have now, because of all these other issues that have sort of in, have started with professional golf and impacted all the way down. Enough of the negative. We've yeah. talked about all that before.
2: Oh, I, 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 hang on. I, before you move on from this, I, I think that I, a theory on this that – Part of the problem, or a big part of the problem, is the is the ego, the collective ego of amateur golfers. I mean, I've I've yet to see, you know, a halfway decent amateur golfer go and play a course and play from tees that he should be playing off. They all go and play from too far back. This teat forward things is absolutely right, but I don't think it it'll ever work because the vast majority of people will never accept that the they should be playing off a golf course that's no more than 6,200 yards or 6,300 yards, whatever it is. I mean, I, I know I see this in Scotland every day. The vast majority of male golfers in, in this country should be playing off what we call the ladies' tees and what should be called the forward tees. But, but they'll never do that because their egos won't let them. And that that's a big part of the problem, I think. I think amateur golf, to, to a large extent, has only got itself to blame.
0: Yeah, well, of course, the back tees are there now, though, aren't they, Huggy? That's the thing. I mean, if you think about most yeah, but
2: they courses, don't have to use them. I no, mean they use them. They did go as far back as they as they as they can anyway. Yeah, you know, and this has just encouraged them. I mean, they're stupid.
0: <laughs> well, that's half the listenership gone. Let's hope the other half stick with us, Huggy. Um, on to nicer things, and I want to stick with you, Huggy, because of course the Masters. I thought was a fabulous event this year. It was exciting the finish. You couldn't have asked for more excitement from the what was your take on it from there, Huggy? They always seem to dish up somehow, don't they? And exciting and well, not always. There was a few years there in the mid two thousands where it wasn't it was a bit more like the US Open. But this year's event was fantastic, wasn't it? And I'm sure you must have enjoyed it on the ground.
2: Well that's always a saving grace for the for the Masters is that the golf comes through at the end and, and saves us from thinking about too much about all the nonsense that goes with that tournament with the Billy Payne, and he's no women, and there's stupid rules that they have, and basically the fact that the whole thing's run by the bunch of, you know, (laughs) I could only describe as horrible people. I mean, these are not nice people that are running this tournament. They run a hell of a tournament, but let's not, you know, get too carried away with... uh, you know, their personal characteristics or the, their lifestyle or the way they, you know, the, the things they believe in. But you're right. I mean, the golf at the end of the day is nearly always fantastic. It's got a lot to do with the, the golf course and the way they set it up despite the misgivings we have in certain aspects. I mean, I do think the, you know, apart from the fact that the fairways were crazy this year, the, the greens are, have been for a long time, you know, ridiculously fast. They were never designed to be played at that speed. But that again is part of the you know the defense against the the ball going so far. But uh, but you're right. I mean, at the end of the day, does anyone care about all that other stuff? Probably not. I mean, we're in you know it's an entertainment business, professional golf, and there is nothing more entertaining than the Masters on a Sunday afternoon.
0: Uh, absolutely right, Shaq. Your take from on the ground. I'm sure you must have enjoyed it. I saw you sent you tweeted some pics of the the media room setup they had with the monitors, and you could follow this and you could follow that. It just looked like well. I think Lee Westwood called it Disneyland for adults. That's what it certainly looked like for the press.
1: Oh, they they treat you like kings. They make it almost too easy to just sit there and cover it from the press center. Um, but uh, no, I, I thought it was a fantastic week. Um, yeah, I, I I'm thrilled that a player playing the way Bubba played uh, was able to separate himself in the end, even though it was a playoff and and uh, it was exciting. Uh, I think the setup. Uh, was fantastic i wrote a little item for golf world monday about how the 16th hole actually was an interesting hole all four days instead of just sunday uh they they redid that green and and uh you saw all sorts of interesting things go on each day there uh great shots and and blow-ups um so that was a huge positive because i've always found that just to be a a dreadful hole um you know but i I will say being there um uh having seen the trees grown a little bit the the Eleventh and, and and now I really think the seventeenth hole is truly the most abhorred thing I've I've ever seen done on a major championship golf course. Uh, it is just absolutely an absurd hole. It's an absurd fairway to try to hit. It's laughable, really. I mean, you just have one slot you can hit it in; otherwise, you miss the fairway. And it's 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 just it, it, a place like that deserves so much better. And so uh, uh, and they know it. I, I they're they're not proud of some of those changes. They know that it's. Uh, they're fighting a battle there. But but in general, they're still doing uh, quite an amazing job.
0: Yeah, Clates, uh, I imagine you must have enjoyed it. Your man Ogilvy didn't have quite the year that he did last year, which always intrigues me. You would think he'd be one who should really uh, play well at Augusta National. What was your take on the overall vibe at the tournament? Did you? I'm assuming you enjoyed it.
3: Yeah, it was great fun to watch. I mean, Jeff played... No better than decently, but he played decently. You know, he missed some putts in the middle of the back nine on Saturday. He lost his chance, really, by three-putting 13 and missing a short birdie putt at 14 then not making five from just off the back of 15. But, yeah, you know, he hits the ball well and played well. And just to win that thing, you've got to make a lot of putts, and he didn't make enough. But, you know, I saw Matt Cooch's shot at live at 15, which was, I mean, it actually probably looks better on TV when you see it, you know, from back up on top of you the know, that, that was an incredible shot. I mean, 11 would be such an amazing hole restored with all those silly trees going on the right and 17's a bizarre hole. And But, you know, it's an incredible course and, and it is really wide off the tee. You know, there's plenty of space to drive it and it's all the things that we we like. And it, well, and really the biggest distortion is that 7th hole. That just looks ridiculous mm-hmm. in the tee now. That just, that's just a bizarre hole, that thing.
0: It's almost pedestrian, but, isn't it? Uh, a single file to walk down the fairway
3: just a terrible looking hole from the tee, but and so added character with the rest of the golf course, with the exception of probably 18 and 17. We, you know, you know they're three bizarrely narrow holes on a course that's massively wide. But mm. yeah, it's great fun to watch, and it's very dignified, and there's not a scrap of rubbish around. And None they much. sell sandwiches for a dollar yes. fifty. And make fifty million dollars out of the merchandise tent, so they can afford to sell sandwiches for a yeah. dollar fifty. But
0: What's not to like about that, Clay? It's $1.50 sandwich. It's been a long time since we've we've seen one of those. On some of those issues that Huggy touched on, I don't want to get too much into this, Jeff, but some of the issues that Huggy touched on and some of the club's own policies, and there was, of course, the the drama about a woman member and the new IBM CEO traditionally being invited to join, but, of course, she's a woman now, so is that going to happen? It seems to me that Billy Payne uh, may be more in our camp and from the inside trying to make changes, but he can't publicly say as much. Do you see uh, what's happened to the course since Hootie Johnson moved on and Billy Payne took over would suggest that maybe Billy Payne gets it uh, a little bit more? What's, what's your take on that? He looked very, very awkward in that press conference. and He was asked some difficult questions, but he looked to me like a man who was trying to defend something he thought was indefensible.
1: I would agree with that assessment. Um, and I, I would say about halfway through the questioning he, he, he became deflated really, because he realized that his discussion about Augusta wanting to join um, talk of, of things to do to make golf better uh, sounded ridiculous uh, With when you contrast it with the fact that people are still stuck on a legitimate issue, uh, which is their discrimination of, of uh, half the population. And so he realized, you just sense he realized that uh, they really can't uh, impact the game in a positive way if they're still having to deal with this and so i i i do feel that he uh probably has a different take uh he remember came to power uh there was a power struggle uh, reportedly and uh he and Hootie sort of uh won Hootie got his guy in and so he has to be very careful mm. of what he does with the golf course and some of the policies that, that Hootie initiated that, that have turned out to be um, dreadful. And, and, and he has to deal with the fact that he's still kind of there looming. Um, and then he also has to deal with all these other, other factors. It's a very political mm. group, uh, which is interesting because it used to be such a dictatorship. And, and, uh, so he's, he, times have changed in that sense. And, uh, uh, and you look at their members who are walking around. At least the ones who are working the tournament, uh, they're surprisingly young. Um, but uh, but there's there's a there's an older group I know hunkered down in the cabins that are that are uh, not quite as uh, progressive and, and active as the uh, the younger group. You get that. Feel.
2: Surprisingly young means less than seventy.
1: Well, that's
0: that's correct. <laughs> Everything's relative, Huggy. Everything is relative. You get the feeling that this march towards change, though, Huggy. For Augusta Nationally, it's going to be forced upon them. Once the President of the United States of America starts talking about your club policies and voicing an opinion, it's going to be very hard for them to hold the line. I would be surprised if uh, is it is it Virginia Romedy, Jeff? Is that her name, Virginia Romedy, the new uh, head of IBM? Yes, good
1: Romedy. Yes, Romady, right,
0: yes. <coughs> I'd be surprised she goes by if Ginny. Yeah, if she wasn't a member by the end of next year, very quietly, I'd be pretty surprised. What do you think, Huggy? Do you think Billy Payne is maybe trying to make change from the inside, but can't publicly say as much?
2: Yes, I I, I agree with everything that's been said about that. And I I actually bumped into um, Alistair Lowe at the Masters. He's the present captain of the Royal and Ancient Golf Club of St. Andrews, that esteemed body of men who run the game (laughs) for the rest of us. Uh, And his feeling, not sure whether this was off the record or not, but it's going to go on the record now. It's about to not be, yes. (laughs) Yeah, was that uh, his generation probably won't do anything about it, but... uh, our generation, if you like, he's a you know, he's probably nearly 70 now. Our generation, certainly our children's generation, probably will. They're less tolerant of the, the nonsense that's gone on so far. And I do think that it's, it's only a matter of time. It's just the same as the bifurcation of the rules. It's, it's simply a matter of time. It's not a case of... If it's gonna happen, it's just when. when and it will happen. And I, I agree with the you know, the women thing at Augusta probably it might even have happened already. Yes, that's right. Had it not become an issue this year, I think they probably might have quietly trotted the women out with her blazer or jacket on mm. you know, within the next couple of months. Yeah. But that may not happen. It might take a wee bit longer because of people like Lawrence Donegan from The Guardian. Came in at uh, (laughs) the press conference.
0: Enough about that. Let's talk about some stuff that's uh, got nothing to do with the Masters and very little to do with professional golf. Clayton, you have come back from a golfing odyssey. You didn't just go to the Masters. I'd like you to run us through, if you can remember off the top of your head, your itinerary of courses that you visited, and then we'll go over some of the good and the bad that you saw at some of those iconic venues. Well,
3: we started off, we flew into... LA and drove to Rustic Canyon and played. In fact, we drove to Riviera where we stayed, which was fantastic. The accommodation of Riviera is brilliant, thanks to Daniel Wexler and the boys there. Um, we went to Rustic Canyon.
0: Terrible golf course. Apparently it's a lot of fun, Mike. It's actually
3: pretty it's actually pretty good. I mean it was a um, it was an unusual I guess it was an unusual wind, Jeff. I'm not sure, but ten was nine and ten were into the wind. The par fives and they were like massive holes—two woods and a three iron for me. Yeah,
1: those are <laughs> those are normally the prevailing uh, is downwind on those holes.
3: Yeah. So, so, but I mean, not an easy bit of land. Very narrow and up up through that canyon. And I thought terrific fun to play. Really, you know, we all enjoyed that. Um, a perfect model for a clubhouse on a public golf course, or so if you, you know, that that, that would be the perfect clubhouse at St Andrews Beach. They could build that, and that would be better than the temporary thing that's been there for ten years.
0: What's it like for those of us who haven't seen it? Um, uh,
3: separate from the well, well, kind of joined, a separate pro shop, really, but just a small sort of room where you sit and have a beer, and have an ice cream, and have a sandwich. And a
0: bit Vanburghal Dunes like the the first Dunes course, smaller than that, but
3: wow. yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. I mean, just minimalist and. You know, it sits well with the golf course single story beautiful colors well designed just a nice place to go and finish around a round of golf on a public course really well done i thought mm-hmm. um riviera of course the opposite the you know the massive grand clubhouse there so we played la country club on monday morning riviera in the afternoon so tough day it, it was good to see la jeff took me around there before the renovation slash restoration in 2007 i think so it was good to see what happened there and you know a, a, a tremendous golf course much better than it was i mean visually the bunkers look better but it played better those stupid gum trees that you know the lemon in gums they look bad enough in australia out of their own environment but stuck in the middle of la they look terrific so, so, so it was nice to see people cutting down gum trees in los angeles
0: You'd have but, been welcomed with open arms, clates. Did you have yeah. the uh, Did you have the still chainsaw with you? They'd have been. they have loved your work, wouldn't they? Yeah.
3: But yeah, yeah. The second hole's a much better hole, going back to the way it was. And um, I was staggered by how long and difficult the fifth was. I mean, I mean, six is a massive improvement there. We played the seventh off the alternate tees, a short four, which is a great hole. Um, it's a pity about that massive skyscraper that's gone up behind the clubhouse off the <laughs> ninth. It looks pretty ugly. But you know, again the yeah, you know, the back nine is tremendous. 15 is a beautiful short part three, tremendous hole. The restored kind of wild alternate 17th green that's there that you can play as a 19th hole. It was great fun. And So we then got in the plane and flew to Augusta on Tuesday morning. Well, Atlanta and drove to Augusta, spent three days at Augusta, then drove up to Pinehurst on Friday, which was a leave at 7 in the morning and get back to Augusta at midnight. But I was staggered by how long and difficult and great pioneer was, you know. He, as Huggy was saying, it was my own fault and my own ego. But I played with Matt Goggins, so we played off the back tees, and I hit kind yeah. of five greens in a round. I just, you know, there were so many holes there I couldn't reach, and if I could reach them, I couldn't get on the green anyway. But I was staggered by how long and difficult that golf course was. But we saw, we ran into Bill Corr at Fryer's Head, you know, the following week, and he said, "Well, the one criticism I've had of the work we've done there, which was." Unquestionably brilliant. Was that the course is too easy? And it's, oh. you know, there's that automatic assumption in America <coughs> respect that if the if there's 80 yards of fairway to hit to, or 60 yards of fairway to hit to, the course is too easy. No, no matter how difficult, if the fairways are <laughs> and there's no rough, it's too easy. And you know we face the same thing here. We've Redone a couple of courses here and made the fairways wider. And you know, the, the unthinking attitude of the ignorant is it's too easy. Well, just because it's easy to hit the fairways doesn't mean it's too easy.
0: Explain why that's wrong, Clates, because I'm sure a lot of people don't get it. I I was at a Masters breakfast at a golf club and I almost couldn't believe I heard this. The guy next to me said that the British Open shouldn't be a major because it's played on a goat tra- on goat tracks without trees. Um,
3: <laughs> how did? It... Yeah, Who did that? Well, how... I mean, you know. You know, as Greg Turner says, he said, it's not the ignorance that astounds me, it's the extent of it. You know, and it's, you know what, what sort of imbecile. You, you know, you know, it, you know, I mean, Matt Goggin read Robert Hunter's book, The Lynx, the other day. He said, I love some of the words he used. He said, You never hear anyone use the word ignoramus anymore. Yeah, you know, that's a perfect word for someone who says that. It's just, the guy's just an ignoramus, and, you know, and just.
0: But, but yeah. explain to him why that's wrong. What, what's the basics? Somebody who doesn't know much about golf or is fairly new to the game looks at a golf course with 80-yard wide fairways, and their immediate thought must be, oh, this is pretty easy. You know, you can hit it anywhere. Why is that the wrong way to think? Explain well,
3: well, it to can, them. But, you know, I, we played Royal Melbourne yesterday. Uh, we, we walked Shinnecock the other day, and, you know, Shinnecock's got massive wide fairways, but incredibly difficult greens that need to be approached from from a specific part of the fairway, often depending on where the flag is. Like the fourth at St. Andrews, we, you know, when you play the old course and, and the pin in the open stuck behind that bunker in the mound for four days, you've got to drive it down the right to get anywhere near it. So, so you know, there, there are two parts of the game. Marion, which we'll talk about, is a straight-hitting contest, and, and that's all the U.S. Open is going to be. There's no thought in, in terms of how you play the golf course. It's a pure test of execution. You hit it where the USGA tell you to hit it. At St. Andrews and Shinnecock, the way it was set up in Pinter's, you've got to work out for yourself where to hit it. So golf doesn't become a straight hitting contest. It becomes an accurate hitting contest where you've got to accurately hit to a defined part of the fair. Well, not a defined part of the fair, but you've got to work out where to hit it and then hit hit accurately to that point. But you can play far away from that point, but be at a distinct strategic disadvantage. So, So that's the difference. But, yeah, the fundamental thing is you, you have to work out for yourself where to play, as, as opposed to being told where to play by the USGA or the R&A or the Keeper or the committee or
0: so, so whoever. So it becomes a mental exercise as well as ju- as a test of the physical, and that's when well, golf's well, at its best, isn't it?
3: Well, well it does, and, and golf's at its worst when you're hacking out of long grass. I mean, mm-hmm. who wants to hack the ball out of long grass? I mean, it, it is no... And, and, you know, and, and, as Alistair McKenzie wrote, I mean, people refuse to look up with the annoyance of looking for lost balls. They won't put up with it, and it's miserable.
0: And expensive these days, too.
3: Well, yeah. So from Pinehurst, which I thought was great and incredibly difficult, we went back to Augusta for the weekend, then flew up to New York and played Garden City, which is an all-men's club designed in part by an Australian, Walter Travis, the first Australian to win a major championship. Mm-hmm who, um, you know, great, great fun. We didn't see it with the fescue up, but, great, I mean, you know, old-fashioned, quirky, and great fun.
0: One of the great yeah. clubs of America, <clears> too, is it not, Clates? It's considered one of the great golf clubs in the States.
3: Yeah, they've got a great letter up on the wall. It's a three-page letter from Devereux Emmett to what was a Walter Travis saying, basically, we got, we once used to be friends, but we don't speak anymore. I'm sad. Can we be friends again? I mean, I mean, just a perfect letter from mm. two friends that had obviously fallen out. You know, and this letters sort are of framed and stuck up on the clubhouse wall. It's brilliant. Mm. And, um, and then we went and played with Gil Hans at Pine Valley, which is awesome. Is one of the most overused words in the language, but awesome describes Pine Valley perfectly. It's a staggering place to play golf. And again, stupidly, I play with Michael Coffin who works with us and who who hits the balls a a long way. And we play off the back tees and it's just a massive, massive golf. So, I mean, that's the the 15th hole on power fairways, end of the wind, cold-ish but not that cold. I mean, driver, driver, three-wood. I mean, just staggeringly long.
0: You're on the tee at forward train, Clates.
3: Yeah. So, (laughs) yeah, I mean, get over yourself and get to the front tees. But, you know, a beautiful place to play golf. Incredible. And, and, and big, wide, wide fairways. You know, I mean, there's massive space to hit into there at Pine Valley. And and, and just a you know, you, you, you could cut down 3,000 trees there as well. There are trees in the bunkers and it's overgrown. But, and the bunker in front of the 10th green is now pretty much unplayable. I mean, I mean, you get in there, you actually can't get out really. You know, so so it's. And then we drove down to Merion and walked around that, which was interesting. Um, the next day we – we'll get back to Marion. The next day we went and played Fry's Head. Um, Fry's Head's a, you know, Bill Corn course up on Long Island. Beautiful. The last five holes there are staggeringly great holes, I think, and just a fantastic place to be golf. Interesting how he tied in the the, the less interesting farmland to the holes the holes in the dunes. So, so it's almost unnoticeable that you actually go from, you know, you're moving from one distinctly different piece of land to another. Uh, we played Sabonic in the afternoon, which, again, is just long and long and really <laughs> difficult. And
2: the
3: thing is
2: Where I Went on My Holidays <laughs> yeah. by Mike Clayton.
3: Yeah. yeah. So, so Bruce Eppner, who worked <laughs> with, was working with Tom Doak at the time, said, you know, they obviously did it with Nicholas, and, and he said, you know, I think the fact that we worked with Nicholas meant that he said, every hole's got one too many bunkers, and that's kind of the way it looked to me. But, you know, I mean, a really good golf course, great fun. And, and yeah. then and the next day we walked, because they were shut, Shinnecock and the National. And since I was there in 2002, Shinnecock have cut down 3,000 trees, and it looks incredible. I mean, what a brilliant golf course. And the National is just... Great fun to play. I mean I mean staggeringly fun to play. Big wide fairways again, you've got to work out for yourself where to play and and just great fun. So
0: So you saw some fabulous sights by the well, sound of it, Mike. Yeah,
3: you know, yeah. You know, I mean you know, we saw twelve of the best sort of twenty courses in the world probably. Yeah. You know, so so great well yeah, just some... <laughs>
0: Let, let's talk about Marion. You sent some photos through to all three of us just before we came on air today, and I think all three of us had the same response, which was what um, extremely narrow, uh, rough. That uh, not only looks out of place, it looks like different grass. It, it, it seems to have almost been photoshopped in there. What was your take on Marion? And then we might talk about the difference between that and Shinnecock, which has also hosted the U.S. Open, uh, and what sort of, which of why Shinnecock might be a better, uh, a better. Ad or promotion for golf than what Marion's going to be next year when the U.S. Opens there.
3: Well, I'm not an expert on Marion. I've been there twice. I played it in 2002 and thought it was one of the best golf courses i have ever seen. I thought it was incredible. But, but you know, of course, well known for how short it is. There's a run through the front nine through seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen that, that was incredibly short by you know championship standards.
0: Well, even you could reach the greens, clades. Well, yeah,
3: I was chipping <laughs> some of them, but. <laughs> yeah. Um, so its defence was always rock hard greens. I mean, narrow fairways and high rough, I suppose. And and they last had the open there when David Graham played that great round in 1981. And and it was you know it's a small golf course. It looks like it's difficult to get crowds around. The open hasn't been back there for 30 years. They played the amateur there in when one of the Molinari's won. The 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 Good putting Molinari, I think, John, right? <laughs>
2: Eduardo, yes.
3: Yeah, yeah. So he won there in 2005, I think. So, yeah. you know, from the outside, it seems they've been long trying to prove they're a course and a club capable of hosting the US Open again. So they've, you know, off the back, you know, the second hole, they've taken a third of the fairway on the left and sorted it out with grass to make it rough and, uh, the third hole off the back tee is 270 yards. The, the, the fourth hole is a tee back almost on the, sixth, on the seventh fairway, um, literally. Um, you know, the fifth tee is miles back now. It's a massive long hole. There's a back tee at nine that's 230 yards. It's that tiny ninth green, which is big enough for about a, you know, a five-iron, maybe it's a 230-yard hole. Half the 11th fairway is now gone from the right. The fourteenth tee is going back behind the practice putting green. Um, there's half a fairway left at 16, like the famous Quarry Hole, and then 17 is 250 yards, and 18, you know, I mean, there's a story about poor running chipping onto the ladies' tee. I mean, half the field into the wind to be chipping onto the ladies' tee because they couldn't carry the quarry. So, so you know, it's a massively difficult golf course now. But, but it, to, to me, it looks like a distortion of mm. the great course it could be because it looks to me like a course that embrace the all short grass look if the whole thing was cut out of short grass it would look incredible
2: Mm. Well, I have a theory on that Mike when the US Open goes there next year, my theory is that Mike Davis is actually an evil genius (laughs) who's going to make this tournament look so stupid that even the most uneducated layman will realise that there's something wrong with the game played on courses set up like that and something will have to be done that's, yeah, that's my theory,
3: anyway. Well, that, that's probably not a bad theory. Because, but, but you, you know, in terms of, I mean, what amazed me was how big and long and difficult the, the, those big championship courses in America are. And, you know, and here's one that's kind of in, short in one sense, but it's short through the middle. But the holes that are at the end are massive holes. I mean, they, you know, the, the fourth's a huge par five. I mean, five's a massive hole now. I mean, nine's a huge par three. And then 14 with the new teaser, huge hole. And, of course, the last three holes, that you couldn't find three more difficult holes to finish on in any... I mean, Carnoustie, perhaps, but, I mean, give me the 16th at Carnoustie over the 17th at Merion any day. And and, and or, or almost give me the 18th at Carnoustie over the 18th at Merion.
0: Wow, that's a big call. Shackleford, I know you had a bunch of questions for Mike and you've been wanting to pump him for info ever since he got home from this amazing trip. Fire with question one, my friend.
1: Well, you've, you've covered Marion for me, so I guess I, I'm most interested in Pine Valley. He, he you touched on it with 3,000 trees, but uh, it's. But the thing that 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 bothers me about uh, Pine Valley, besides the trees, uh, is I hear people now say it's not as hard as it used to be, and and that aggravates me because that's that's nothing against the club. In fact, it's a compliment to the superintendent because he has. I'm, I've heard it's in great shape now too. Um, but part of it, I think, is a little bit self-induced. Uh, and now, I don't know if Clays—if you've been there—but they now really maintain the sand there. Uh, and I'm wondering if you think that it would be better if they went back to more of a footprint uh, style uh, look to the to the hazards, where you just are kind of at the mercy of of, of whatever uh, the golf gods give you, and if that would return some of the uh, the fear factor in Pine Valley.
3: Perhaps. I mean, I, well. Well, the one example was I actually hit it in the trees on the off the seventh tee, and my caddy told me to lay up short of Hell's Half Acre, and I actually hit it too far in there. You know, I actually hit it in there. And I walked in and hit a three wood out of it, and and I actually, ha- having seen what the hazard was like, I thought, well, I should, you know, I should have punched it out right bit at the far end of it, and not even bothered about it. So mm. that that was smooth, and uh, you know, it wasn't. That would have been a much more fearsome hazard if you had, a, had a, at least a 50% chance of having no shot out of it but I mean, I, I mean it just looked like a, to me just a staggering long and difficult golf course it didn't mm. you know. well <clears throat> you're playing the wrong tees or not they just thought, you know, I mean uh, you know, it just looks long and difficult I mean anyone who thinks that golf course is too easy is either a hell of a player or they're not playing off the back tees
1: well it does get shorter in the summertime as it firms up a little bit and and yes. you just you some of these players today they hit it places you can't. I mean, I, I'm shocked when I when people come back and say that. Trust me, I I, I'm, I, I find it stunning. But it is it is a reaction you get. Uh, and I'm just curious. You went to all these different places in the United States. What was just your take on on uh, golf here and, and, and kind of the mood and and uh, uh, just your overall uh, sense of of the state of the game here.
3: Well, I mean, Australians are constantly amazed by how expensive it is to join clubs in America. I mean, we can join Royal Melbourne for ten thousand dollars, you know, and four thousand dollars a year. So, so I think people are amazed when they hear joining fees in sort of mid and high six figures, which is always amazing. I mean, you you go to those places we went to, all had caddies, which is great. They're expensive, but it's you know it's a pleasure to play the game with a caddy. You, you know, I was talking to them and say you, you can go to all. Sixteen hundred golf courses in Australia today or ne- next Saturday, and you and you would literally not find one caddy out there. No, not one. <laughs> yep. so, so I think that's great that America's retained that as a part of the game. I was amazed at how difficult and long they were. As I've said, I think you know it's um, great clubhouses, all of them. Great food in the clubhouses. Great, you know they. Are, we kind of under service in Australia because that's the way we like it in Australia. I think you know, in America people like being over service, so you're incredibly well looked
0: after. Um, Was it fun, yeah. Slates? Did you have a sense of fun at most of these places? It's always struck me at the few very prestigious golf courses slash clubs that I've been to. Um, the best ones. You feel at home even though you could never afford to be a member there and there's a sense of fun around the place. And I found yeah. it, particularly in the UK. It's very welcoming and people want you to experience their golf course and enjoy it. Did you get that sense in the States or are, there, are some of these clubs a bit um, it's about the status symbol as opposed to necessarily the golf?
3: Well, it was early in the seasons. So Kenny Bass has played at Fry's that even though the course was shut, Shinnecock and the National were shut. There was hardly anyone at Pine Valley because it was so early in the season. But, yeah, they're great places to go to. I mean, I, mean, yeah, I, mean, I mean, golf's an amazing game in America. And and, and you know, we probably have in Australia, I think, one course Royal Melbourne that really matches the, the great golf in America. And, the, and there is you know, there's, uh, so much great golf in America, I, I think. You know, I mean, Shinnecock is such an incredible golf course. Those big wide fairways and those brilliant holes and the... You know the expansive look over the place and that beautiful clubhouse. Is, you know, and the, the public road going through the middle of it. You know, the cars driving through it, and you know, it's just an amazing experience to go there and see it. And then, then you go across the street to the national. And has you know, has this great museum piece of brilliant holes and great strategies and great fun. And hmm. so, you know, my, my sense of golf in America is that the great golf in America is incredible.
0: Huggy, you've uh, you've lived in America at times. You're a regular visitor there. It'll surprise some that you've been a critic of the place and the golf culture there for some time. What's your take on what? Clayton's saying he's obviously playing the best of the best. I mean, that list of courses that he's rolled out would be known by any avid golfer anywhere around the world. Does it flow down to the rest of golf in America? Well, no, I mean,
2: it, that's not American golf. That that's just a, that's the tip of the iceberg. The the top. Uh, you know, zero point whatever percent. Same as uh, you know, people who come to <coughs> to Scotland for then play golf and they play St. in Andrews, Kenustie, Turnberry, Muirfield, and Troon. Guilty. That is, that's not that's not Scottish golf. That's <laughs> that's just that's just where they play the Open and where they you know the toffs live and play their golf. I mean, that's not where working class punters you know go to enjoy the game and, and get the best out of it. That's just, you know, it's just the, the top end. So it's hardly representative of, you know, what I'm sure Jeff will tell you, what American golf really is. I mean, he's far more qualified than I am to tell you what the, the working man in America does to get his golfing fix.
0: Well, you did nothing for him to help his handicap when you were the instruction editor at Golf Digest, as you've admitted a couple of not times. Not so he's, he's probably not... 17.8. 17.8, 17.8 and still... 17.8, Shaq. What's your thought there? Because the courses that Clates is talking about there, they are influential, aren't they? These are the icons of the game that we hold, not just in America, but all over the world. Royal Melbourne here in Australia, St Andrews, Huggy mentioned in, in Scotland, and Canooste, and golf courses in Ireland and England, and the, the courses that everybody knows. They have an influence that goes right through the game, don't they? They almost have a responsibility, these places, don't they?
1: Um, I would say they used to. I, I really, I don't think that's the case anymore. There's, there's such an economic divide now between uh, classes here, and, and so those elite clubs are just uh, they're operating on another uh, level with different, totally different concerns of the everyday club or the everyday uh, golf course, and so. Um, uh, which I think's uh, unfortunate, but um, have they got it's something just a to product teach us? of the times.
0: Have, have those clubs got something to teach the rest of us and the rest of the golf facilities around the place? What should we learn from them? We seem to have taken from places like Augusta National, you know, the pristine idea and everything's got to be completely manicured. That's what we see at the Masters every year. That's probably not such a great thing to take away. Can those clubs teach us other things about, oh. about golf? Oh,
1: Oh, no question. They are, you know, if, if the economy were better, I think we'd see more golf courses following the lead of some of those places, and, and in particular, and I, I wrote about this before the Masters, the Augusta Syndrome is not what it used to be. Uh, you know, you have people looking more to, to some of these clubs that are removing trees, uh, which is helping grow grass. They're they're removing turf, uh, and people are seeing that and seeing, well, you know, if, if uh, an L.A. Country Club or a Marion uh, uh, can can take turf out of play and have uh, mulch under their trees why it's not the end of the world and so that is great it's just that at the moment it, a lot of these clubs don't have the or or everyday courses have the money to kind of make some of those uh, investments to do some of the things that um, that are going on uh, at the great courses Clay, you, you mentioned there are a couple of places that have cut down,
0: you know, several thousand trees. I think there were two courses you mentioned that had done that. Shinnecock was one and there was another. I know Oakmont took out about 4,000 trees a few years ago. Did you get a sense that there was a bit of a harking back to the way golf used to be and that, you know, people like us might describe as the way golf should be? Did you get to chat to many people within the industry there and, and their sense of, of those influential courses making those sorts of changes?
3: Uh, we didn't talk about that much. I, I mean, the National, I think, took out a lot of trees I'm not sure how long ago, Jeff, maybe a decade ago. I'm not sure, but, uh-huh. you know, there are, the Americans have done a better job at addressing the negative influence of trees than we have in Australia. And, you know, people are all over me always for chopping trees down. But, you know, we played quite a few golf courses, Piners Shinnecock, the National, where, um, LA Country Club, where you wouldn't find almost a single tree to cut down. I mean, you can't go to a golf course in Australia and f- find a course where there's not a treaty cut down that's out of place or looks odd or affects the golf negatively. So, you know, I think we're kind of behind America in that sense. But you know, it's a, it's a brave committee that takes down every tree at Oakmont or, or cuts down three thousand trees at Shinnecock. But I haven't seen Oakmont, but you know, Shinnecock looks incredible.
0: Yeah, they did it at night at Oakmont, Clay, so it was far less dangerous. <laughs> <laughs>
3: People in Australia are oddly obsessed with this isolation thing. You know, it's great. Uh, big, and you can't see any other person on the golf course. I mean, why the hell do you, why is that any good? And, and of course, none of the great courses do that, apart from Pine Valley probably. But, you know, I mean, no, none of the great courses celebrate that. In fact, that's
1: that's not true i i mean la country club uh some of these courses you played on the trip they the tree removal has been to undo that mentality and it starts with pine valley obviously people have that that
3: yeah it's a good thing yeah you know but yeah but i mean i mean people in australia i mean metro or i play i mean there are members oh you know we love the feeling you're on a hole and you can't see anyone else in the golf course not one good thing it's just a ridiculous notion i think and and, and, as you say, almost none of the great golf courses do that, apart from Pine Valley, probably. But, I mean, obviously none of the Lynx courses in Scotland or Britain do that. But, but you know, the great courses are wide open, <laughs> and there are great views across them all. Hmm. or you, know, you know, one.
1: Yeah, I've, I've, Gail's heard me say this, but it has always mystified me. You always hear people tell, talk about that, <clears throat> and and oh, it's so great, we never saw another person all day, there was separation, and then they'll tell you some story about how it's an all-men's club, and you can just walk around <laughs> naked anywhere you want in the locker room. And you yeah. just you just want to say, how do you reconcile those two things? First of all, how do you Find it uh, appealing in any way that the old men are walking around naked or with a towel around their waist at the best. And then uh, the two the two concepts are just so radically uh, in in contradiction. I I've just I've never been able to get that one. Well, maybe
0: it's the Maybe that's why they like the isolation on the fairways too, Jeff. Who knows how they're playing their golf? You know. Well, that's true. <laughs> in ta- towels or naked, as they wander around the place, it uh, it does seem a bit odd. Gents, it's always fabulous to talk to you, and it's been fabulous again, but of course, as always, we've gone far longer than we should have, and uh, the poor listener is going to have lots to listen to here. We've just ticked over the hour, so I think we should probably wrap it up, even though I'd be quite happy to sit here and talk for another hour or two. Clates, so I want to get you back on the show, and we'll we'll get you to have a think about some things to do with the golf courses you saw, and we'll have a specific discussion about that. We might try and get a guest along as well, to have a chat about some of those courses and uh, things we can learn. and why they? Uh, why it's good to have them in the game. But for today, I think we uh, we better up first. Did I miss anything, Huggy? I'm sure you've got something to say that I haven't asked you about, so get it off your chest, my friend.
2: No, it's, it's too late here for that. I'm tired. I need to go to my bed.
0: <laughs> it is the middle of the <laughs> night. We appreciate you <laughs> taking the time. All right, well, goodbye to you, Jeff Shackelford. Always Thanks. great to have you on board. Thank you for taking some time. All right, thank you, Ron. And Mike Clayton, of course, as always, great to chat to you and looking forward to catching up again in the not-too-distant future. Thanks, Rod. And that wraps up our talk and golf slash state of the game, episode eight and a half or whatever it might have been. It has been a bit longer than we meant to. Been fantastic. We'll be back in another couple of weeks with another episode of State of the Game.